0: Holy Gospel according to John chapter 8. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, o Christ. Sisters and brothers, grace to you and peace from God. Our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I know I'm not the only one these days who sometimes finds it hard not to be discouraged about things these days. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who believes in keeping up with the news, but who has nevertheless placed some limits on my exposure to the news these days, because so very much of the news the news outlets send my way is discouraging. It just seems like unending bad news. I'm positive I'm not the only one who gets frustrated about the fact that what passes for public discourse these days has degenerated into something ugly and discouraging, where people can't have honest discussions and disagreements about what we think and what we think we should do about what we think because we can't even agree on what the actual truth is and what the actual facts are that call us to do some thinking and some doing. And I'm absolutely certain I'm not the only one who comes to worship on Sundays, especially on a festive day like Reformation Sunday, wanting some relief from it all, wanting some encouragement, wanting some good news for a change for God's sake. Thank God for Jesus, who comes to us today in our discouraged and truth-conflicted world with a beautiful word of promise, a word of encouragement, a word of life-giving news. When speaking to a group of Jews who had believed in him, he says, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Sweet Jesus, thank you. This is exactly what I need. I need truth. I need freedom. I need some words of good news. Except, did you notice? (coughs) The people he first spoke these beautiful words of promise to didn't actually hear them as good news. At all. They instead <clears throat> took immediate issue with Jesus and told him, in just about so many words, that he was the one now broadcasting fake news. And why did they say that? Because, okay, English majors, this is your moment in the theological and Bible study spotlight. You don't get a lot of moments. Can we acknowledge that? This is your <laughs> moment. The reason they jumped all over Jesus. For speaking not good news but fake news has to do with the tense of the verbs he used in announcing the news. You will know the truth, he said, and the truth will make you free, which of course pretty directly implies that they currently in the present tense did not know (coughs) the truth and were currently in the present tense not free but bound (coughs) and so they said how can you say we're not free fact check it Jesus we are descendants of Abraham and we have never ever been not free we have never ever been slaves to anyone which of course for those of you who are English majors but history majors know this is in a literal sense a literally ridiculous statement For the descendants of Abraham had been slaves in Egypt and its empire for centuries. They had been slaves in Babylon and its empire for decades. And even now, they maybe weren't technically slaves, but they surely also weren't technically free because they were a tiny little puppet state in the mighty Roman Empire. We have never been slaves to anyone is, in a literal sense, literally a ridiculous thing to say. That said, in a not literal sense, I take them at their word. Because they surely and literally knew their history with Egypt and Babylon and Rome, which surely means what they were actually saying is that in their history, as children, descendants of Abraham, Empires had come and gone and oppressed and enslaved and abused them, literally speaking, but none had ever broken or enslaved them, spiritually speaking. For spiritually speaking in their hearts, they had remained unbowed to all rulers, but the Lord their God, the God of of Abraham, And so even now, as Jesus spoke to them, they were living lives faithfully guided, not by Rome and its laws, but by God and God's laws. We are free, they said, meaning we are spiritually free, for we keep God's laws. These were people who did because they had to. They were not free not to pay Rome's taxes, but they would not. They did not bow to Rome's offensive pagan gods or follow Rome's offensive pagan ways. So they took offense at Jesus. How can you say that we're not free? They said, we are descendants of Abraham and we, to the bottom of our hearts, spiritually, have never been slaves to anyone. Now we, of course, and by we I mean we here today, would I suspect many of us probably say the same thing were Jesus to show up and say these words not to Jews back then and there but to us who believe in him now and here how can you say we're not free we many of us would say we are Christians who believe in you and we are Americans We live in the land of the free. And we have never been slaves to anyone. To which Jesus in our text for today says, and in doing so, he reveals that in taking offense at what he said, these folks back then were actually not misunderstanding him. Rather, in taking offense at what he said, they perhaps unlike most of us, were understanding him precisely. And I think it is probably you who are my English major friends who probably caught this before the rest of us did. For with those words of promise that he would, future tense, make them free, he actually was saying that they were not Currently, present tense free and the unfreeness he was talking about had nothing to do with the power of Rome or for that matter the power of America for the unfreeness the bondage he was talking about was a deeper one and a precisely spiritual one to be found in the hearts of Jews in Jerusalem and Romans in Rome and Americans in America, which he proceeded to make clear enough even for us non-English majors to get it, when he followed up by saying this, here's the truth, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And let's be clear, in Jesus' mind, And from Jesus' mouth, sin isn't defined by what is legal, according to Jewish laws, or Roman laws, or American laws. Sin is defined by what is right, and good, and holy, as measured by the holy, holy, perfect righteousness and goodness of God, and God's laws. And who are those who have sinned as measured by that standard? They are all of us. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And here's a case where Jesus meant to be taken completely, literally. For by everyone, you know who he meant literally? He meant everyone. Which, whether or not it offends you, includes you. Which, whether or not it offends me, includes me. To paraphrase St. Paul, as he wrote it a few years later in our second reading for today from Romans 3, you want to know the truth? Here's the truth. Don't be boasting about the glory and righteousness of you personally compared to other people from other nations and other races and other demographic groups, from from other political parties and even other religions. For here, said Paul, is the truth. All, no exceptions, have sinned and fallen short of the glory and the heart of God. Everyone, Jesus said, and by everyone he meant literally everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He meant everyone because, of course, everyone sins. A very religious person I was talking to a few years ago took exception and offense with me when I said that to him. He was not a Lutheran. And he had attended a Lutheran worship service. This was in, for those of you who have been Lutherans a while, this was a, a Green Book LBW Lutheran service. I think it started on page 56. <laughs> and he began a conversation with me because of the, the, the line in the confession at the beginning of the service which said, And he was asked to say with us, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. He said, listen, I mean, sure, I'm not perfect. I sin sometimes, but I do not sin nearly as much as I used to. And I don't sin nearly as much as other people. And I am not a slave. I am not in bondage. I've got free will. I can stop sinning. I said, great. So why don't you? I don't think I yelled like that. The conversation went kind of south from there, though. I don't think I ever saw him again. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, Jesus said. And unless you, with your free will, have in thought, word, word, indeed, stopped sinning, the everyone he's talking about includes you, as of course it includes me. But too, he says, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free, and it will do so even now, here and now, in the present tense. But until the future that finally only heaven will show us, our freedom will rot not rest here and now on how good and great we are as opposed to sinners, but rather and only on how good and grace and merciful and forgiving God is toward sinners. And how good and and grace and merciful and forgiving is God towards sinners, here's the good news. God is as good and grace and forgiving and merciful as a cross. The cross from which the only perfect and free anyone who's ever walked this earth looked at us, looked at all of us, looked at everyone on earth ever, looked at you and seeing the truth of you and me and all and sin he said I know the truth I am the truth and I love you your sins are forgiven So, back to the world and its news and its news feeds, which every hour on the hour, if they do nothing, they surely prove beyond any doubt whatsoever that Jesus was speaking the truth when he spoke the truth of this world's sin brokenness and sin boundness. Please don't any of you leave when I say what I'm about to say. Please hear me out. I am not a fan of our current president. I did not vote for him. On a personal level, I dislike him. I disagree with him. Given the chance in 2020, I'm quite sure I would take the opportunity not to vote for him again. Some of you, and this is America, and God bless America, you have this right. Some of you disagree with me. America is great with a greatness no nation has ever been great with in the way that we are free to disagree. And then to vote and elect our leaders. We seem not to be as great as we used to be, given our or certainly as great as we could be, given our seen and pretty much everyday proven inability to disagree with any manner of respect, with any manner of civility, and with a common interest in what is actually true, as opposed to a common conviction that what is true is what news feeds put out by people with political convictions just like mine say is true. I wish that our president, when asked by Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes if he had any regrets, would have said something different than he did. What he said being that he regrets that the press is so mean to him. I wish he'd said something like this. Regrets? Yes. I mean, I'm human. I do have some. I regret some of the words I've spoken. Some of the tweets I've tweeted that have not been respectful. in some cases not even been true, and which have demeaned and often demonized and even villainized entire races of people and entire nations of people and entire orientations of people and entire religions of people. And in doing so I regret that though I am surely not entirely responsible, I have played a part. And I'm the President of the United States of America. The part I play matters. I've played a part in dividing people into camps of fear of others, rather than uniting people around a common good that is truly good, because it's good for all, for us and others. I wish, too, that those who with me disagree with and dislike and did not vote for him would say some things in some similar veins. I wish they, we, would say some things, maybe something like this. Regrets? Yes, we have some. We've let fear-mongering and twisted truth-telling that we've perceived in others to beget a brand of fear-mongering and twisted truth-telling of our own And we've demeaned and demonized people we disagree with on some or even many things as being such hopelessly bad people that we cannot even acknowledge the possibility that there's anything anywhere that we could mutually value and even mutually pursue because we could agree that it is good, good for both of us and good for them and good for others. So we haven't haven't just resisted everything they've said or done that we perceive to be wrong or in some cases to be evil. We've resisted everything that they've said and done. For we would rather that nothing be done than anyone but us getting any credit for anything good. I wish, in other words, that those who feed our news news feeds in the world and those who write our news feeds in the world and those of us who read and repeat and repost and retweet our often too often partisanly slanted news feeds of choice would, taking a cue from, well, here's an idea, taking a cue from Jesus, acknowledge that there's no such thing as my truth as opposed to your truth as only the truth and the truth and by the truth I mean the truth is not that what unites us ultimately as citizens of America and citizens of the world and citizens of the kingdom of God the truth is not that what unites us ultimately is our ultimate greatness or brightness compared to others. What unites us ultimately, what unites <clears> us all, is our need for something oh so greater than the greatest greatness of us and others. What unites us is our need for a God so great and so good And so grace that God meets us in our not greatness and our not goodness, our brokenness, our sin, our not freedom but bondage, and says, and says all the way to a cross, Sinners, I love you. Love one another. A final word, you don't need to be a Luther major to know that the Reformation was birthed of Luther's discovery in Scripture that he was so much more than a sinner. Reading the Bible, he discovered that he was a sinner who was forgiven and loved. The Reformation was birthed, in other words, of Luther's discovery that God, more and greater than God is anything, is a God of grace. Grace, more than anything, is what 500 years ago reformed the church, and it was needed, and it was good. My brothers and sisters, you are the church. You are graced. Be grace. Reform the world for good. Amen. Amen.